is the Pegasus Podcast, presented by Night Sports Now. UCF news, views, and a few hot takes. Now, here are your hosts, Bailey, don't put me in the press box, Adams, and Christian, I'll fight with anyone on Twitter, Simmons. Welcome into episode 83 of the podcast. Be sure you're following us on Twitter at BaileyJAdams22, at ByCA Simmons, and at Night Sports Now. Christian, we're six weeks away from kickoff. How are you doing? We're really close. I, uh, I, I would prefer that, you know, we're six weeks out. And I kind of want the fan base to stop having the middle of the summer conversations on Twitter. Like there was a whole freaking conversation last night about whether the Georgia Leary statue should come down. And I'm like, <laughs> that is a May tweet. I don't know why you're tweeting that in late July. Like it's the, there is a season coming in like a few weeks. And I'd like it if we could actually like focus on that, please. Yeah, it would be nice. I, my brain just doesn't really work very well sometimes. Cause like last week I tweeted, and I've been tweeting it every week, like on Friday afternoon. And I'm like, Oh, like, seven weeks last week last friday i tweeted seven weeks until kickoff and then this week came and i was like how many weeks are there and then i realized like i counted it again and i was like there's six weeks and i was like that feels way closer than seven it just uh, it's for some reason it, yeah, it's yeah not, i don't know i don't think I like it's a week later that. and i'm like i'm like i feel like it's six weeks i don't know i think six weeks is just a time frame that you hear a lot like oh yeah six weeks and that's just the way my brain is like last on. i was like oh that's not that far away it's a little bit closer than seven but i don't know that's how my yeah, I don't, it doesn't feel close to me until we get within 30 days. Like it still feels like, like, obviously it's close, but it still feels like I can't like get legitimately, like, I can't wait to be at that game yet until we're within 30 days. Cause it just still feels sort of distant. I, yeah, I guess, I guess once, I think for me, once we get to August, it'll be, I guess that is 30 ish days. I guess once so. fall camp start fall camps, what, two weeks away. We determined thanks so, to yeah. SJ2E tweeting that fall camp was in two weeks. Yeah. Thanks, SJ. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I am speaking of. Well, I guess we'll start here because we kind of have to these days. Speaking of midsummer conversations, still a little bit of a realignment update, not really a ton, but we'll just hit on what's recent and what's going on right now. It's mostly been boiled down to the Pac-12 and Big 12, but like, I guess, talking about a potential merger in the Big 12. It was a weird report where it was like, oh, the Big 12 was the one that wanted the merger and yeah it, shot him down and then it was actually the opposite of what happened it was the big 12 was the one that said no we're not merging which you could tell it was pete family at espn who reported you could tell he knew that it was bs because he worded the story so carefully he was like a pac-12 source yeah said that the big 12 <laughs> was the one who wanted the merger and it's like first off like i don't think we knew that they were even having those conversations until we knew the conversations had ended it's not necessarily surprising that they explored that but like I don't know. The Big 12 is taking like a moderate risk by saying no to that, because frankly, I think that would have been a really, really large but interesting league if they had come together. But basically, the Big 12 saying no is representative of the Big 12 saying, you know, we don't need like we don't like we can go just get the ones we want. We don't have to agree to merge with all of them. Like we don't need Washington State or Stanford or Cal or whoever. Let's just go get the ones we want. So. Will they? I don't know. That's what it's just. I'm kind of annoyed because I wanted this to be wrapped up before the season started. And it's clearly not going to be. No We're chance. like the Pac-12 and Big 12 are literally just having a staring contest and have been for like close to a month now and just waiting to see who's going to come after who. So it's been I don't even feel it's so funny. It's a conference UCF's in. I don't even feel that like it's like what happened? It's like either. OK, so your three options are nothing will happen. Neither will take from the other, which honestly is the one I'm predicting as of now yeah. with all my, you know, all my insider knowledge, a.k.a. an athletic subscription. And uh, the other options would be the Big 12 steals teams from the Pac-12, which I think is the second most likely option. And if that happens, okay, whatever. There's new teams in UCF's conference. They're all on the other coast, and UCF probably won't play them that often. And the third option is the Pac-12 takes from the Big 12, which would suck for UCF, but it's like they'd probably take TCU and Houston. It's like, okay, Big 12 would go get Memphis or whoever, and then we move on. Like, I just, it's like, yeah. it, it actually it doesn't like, feel like the stakes are that high. From the Big 12 standpoint, doesn't it kind of feel like they didn't want the full merger because, like, they're perfectly fine with either hey a like they can go out and get the ones they want and just if that doesn't happen they're fine staying where they are like i feel like it's yeah they don't need they don't need the the full merger as much as the pac-12 maybe does i think the pac-12 Pac necessarily needs it well but what the pac-12 needs is the what the pac-12 needs is oregon and washington to commit long term they're in their negotiating window right now when they, a tv deal comes out they want oregon and washington to sign on or sign a grant of rights for a long term and i don't uh -huh. think that's going to happen and the pro pac 12 folks or the media who cover the pac 12 keeps saying well if the big 10 wanted oregon and washington they would have taken oregon and washington and they clearly don't i agree i think that's i think that's completely accurate but because the big 10 doesn't want them now doesn't mean they won't want them in two years or five years and that's what oregon and washington are thinking so they're not going to lock into a big uh, excuse me they're not going to lock into a pac 12 contract 
if they think the Big Ten is going to come calling at any point. So, right. and that's why I think the Big 12 has the upper hand. If Oregon and Washington knew for certain they were never leaving, the Pac-12 would have the upper hand by a lot and be able to take whatever they want from the Big 12 or whoever. But it's that uncertainty that's driven the, the leverage back to the Big 12. So it's just kind of like, we'll see what happens. I think, the, I mean, the next move will be, the Pac-12 is supposed to get their TV valuation estimate or whatever you want to call it, like within a week-ish here. And when they get that, then we'll see. Because I think that's what the big the Big Twelve is banking on that some of these the corner schools or whoever will see those numbers and freak and want to jump to the Big Twelve. But frankly, I don't think the Big Twelve numbers are going to be like much better. Like they're probably pretty similar in value. So I and I think at that point, what those teams are jumping for is just like, well, if we stay here with this diluted revenue, what happens when in three years Oregon and Washington leave? Then we're screwed. Then we don't even have a league, or we have a league that's making no more than the AC or than than the AAC. So that's where I think that's why I think the Big 12's pitch is, is at least we have stability. Yeah. And I think that part of that is I didn't really realize this either. And until Brandon tweeted it, Brandon Helwig posted on I think it was a couple of days ago where he's saying that there's no exit fee to leave the Pac-12, only a grant of, a grant of rights that expires after 23-24. The Big 12 has a grant of rights and an exit fee. Any departing school approx- owe approximately $80 million. So which is a little like not like, yeah, that's true. You can negotiate that kind of stuff. But I mean, it's not just you can negotiate that. It's the grant of rights still expires in 2025. Like if those if the Big 12 teams really wanted to leave like that, Texas and Oklahoma aren't are going to be able to leave after 2025. And if TCU got invited to the Pac-12 tomorrow, they could do the same thing. So it's not like that's some ironclad Big 12 has the advantage or anything like that. But it's true that the Pac, what the Big 12 has the advantage from is unless the Pac-12 signs everyone into a new TV deal, the Pac-12 teams can leave with zero penalty in like a year. Yeah. Which is not something the big 12 teams can do. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's like another one of those weeks where it was like the update is that there's really no update. Like there's. It's interesting to me. They even discussed a merger because I'm amazed the big 12 even entertained those, those calls. And it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like they had extensive talks about it. Especially from what, from what the new commissioner was saying just last week, like it just didn't seem, I don't know. Based off of his comments, it didn't seem like, a merger like that would really be on the table but if they'd guess- done that it would have been a 22 team league it would have stretched from orlando to seattle i i mean that would have been from cincinnati to to the bay area like i just it would have been the strangest freaking league it's so honestly funny. i don't even know how the hell you like how does scheduling work for a 22 team league I don't know. It, I feel like it's basically split what you split it in two divisions and it's basically just the two conferences like that they already are you like, split it into two 11 team divisions that are just basically the same. The I think same they the would have done they like, I think they would have done pods, but 22 doesn't even divide in a good way. I don't know. Maybe they would have added more teams. Maybe they would have like gotten San added, Diego state or whoever could have added two more and then broken them up into four pods of six. 24 works fine. Like 24, you absolutely could have made yeah. work. 22 doesn't work. Like, I don't know. They, maybe they would have added teams, I, you know, I, I don't know. know. Now we'll never know. And yeah. uh, probably for good, because, you know, I get that geography doesn't matter, but there's just something about UCF being in the same league as the entire Pac-12 that just doesn't sit right with me because it makes zero sense. Well, so. the funny thing about if that had happened was like everybody wants like the, is talking about eventually the SEC and the Big Ten are going to be at 20 teams and they're going to be like the super conferences. The Pac-12 and Big 12 merger would have gotten them there first. It just would have been a far like worse. My league. biggest question I want to know if that like from the hypothetical of if that merger had happened was what name would that league have had i don't know the big 22 the big 22 (laughs) i think like i think the big 10 has cornered the market on having big in your name like i think if the big 12 was ever going to change its name it couldn't just change to a bigger number you know i guess it's just it's funny they need to like change everything because the big 10 hasn't been 10 for how long now uh, and, not since like the nineties. Cause it was when they added yeah. Penn state, they went to 11. I mean, who cares though? The PAC 12 is the only one that changes the name. The PAC 12 was the PAC 10 as recently as like 2012. Then they had I mean, UConn, I Colorado and changed the whole the time growing up as a kid playing NCAA on PlayStation. And then on Xbox was, it was the PAC 10. They were the PAC eight before that. They were the PAC eight in the nineties or in the eighties. It's weird, but yeah, there's been no, like, no, any, no, no hints or anything of anybody changing any conference names. So I guess that's not happening. Well, if they, like I said, but if they merged, like they would have had to go, oh, like, yeah, I, they, you know, would, they would yeah. have had to change a name, but I'm just, it's not, I don't know. I don't know where we're talking about. I think it's not going to happen. Let's talk about actual football. I'm done with realignment. Let's do it. I just don't care. I really like, I'm just, I'm, I, I usually well, love realignment, but I'm just kind of <laughs> sick of this. Well, but I'm really, cause like I said, just lay out the three scenarios. The worst scenario for UCF is like, 
I really do think if big 12 teams left, it would be TCU and Houston. That was who the PAC 12 reportedly had actual interest in last year. And I just, if that happened, it's like, it would suck and it would hurt the big 12's TV value, but then they would just go get two other teams and it would be whatever. Like I just, it would be worse, but not like catastrophically worse. So I just, I just don't. And I also just don't see that happening. I really don't. Cause why, if you're a big 12 team, would you move to a league whose top two brands could leave at any moment? I just don't know why you would agree to that. If there's even a 10% chance you think that happens, you don't do it. So whatever. Yeah. I don't see it at all, really. But yeah, let's move on to some actual football stuff because we've started a couple weeks ago on our preseason uh, preview kind of stuff. And now we're six weeks away. We're getting into our UCF preseason awards. We've got six awards that we're both going to give out. Um, offensive MVP, defensive MVP, best newcomer, breakout star of the year, biggest surprise and biggest disappointment. I think it's weird, I guess, maybe that I branded biggest surprise and biggest disappointment as awards, but those are the six categories we're going to talk about. And we'll start at offensive MVP, which you said you didn't have a like, hard time with this one. I Not even a little did. bit. I, I thought this was did. the only one that was easy. Um, okay, go for it. Did we, let's first. explain really quickly. So we did this last year. Oh, yeah, and it was all horrible. Horribly it, wrong. It went really – so uh, my offensive MVP, defensive MVP, and breakout player all missed at least half the season. So it went great for me. Um, my offensive MVP, MVP missed most of the season. My defensive MVP turned out pretty well, but then transferred after the year. And my breakout player got like maybe 10 snaps the whole year. If we're I being don't generous. Think he got 10. Bailey's breakout player generous. was former five-star Jordan Johnson, who I believe is like eighth or ninth on the wide receiver depth chart now. So uh, we'll get on to him in a little but, bit. And I'm then the other thing I want to add is breakout. we've added one category, which is best newcomer, because we felt like it didn't make sense to put a player at breakout who was like a transfer. So newcomer is for either a freshman or a transfer. And breakout is someone who was on the team last year who was expected to have a bigger year this year. So I think that's everything. I think so. All right, we ready to do this? Let's do it. All I right. want to hear your offensive MVP because you said it was easy, so I'm curious. It was easy. I think I know. I think I know who you're going for. You're but... going to because this is these are talking points I've said on many a podcast at this okay. point. Yeah. Um, my offensive MVP is Isaiah Bowser. Okay. I think that that like when the more I look at last season, like UCF was truly dominant on offense when Bowser was healthy. I mean, he he is a literal cheat code. He's good. He's not some like bursts out for 50 yards on some crazy run or anything. He just chips away at you and chips away at you. And there's really like, the more I think about, I get that Florida was not a good SEC team, but they still had a D line full of former blue chip recruits and they just didn't have an answer for him. There was nothing they could do. If he wanted three or four yards, he was going to get them. And if UCF can use Bowser correctly this year and really avoid any of those 35 carry games, except maybe once or twice a year and keep him healthy. Like, I don't even want to see him against SC State. Like, let him get out there and warm up and, like, play a couple snaps and take him out. But, like... Give him, like, a, treat it like a preseason game. Give him the first season, like, the first series. Literally. Like, I'm not even joking. Like, there's no That's reason it. for him to play past that. And if they can use him properly and keep him healthy and fresh, I seriously think that he can act as a, just a straight-up cheat code on offense. And I also think that when you add in, like, the other big difference is this year on offense, UCF is going to have a lot more skill talent than they did last year. Either with Mikey or JRP, they're going to have a better quarterback than did last year because Mikey will be improved, or if JRP wins the job, then that means JRP is better. And I just think that Bowser's value is just above – I mean, that's what it is, right? Most valuable player. I think he's more valuable to their success than any other player on that offense. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't have any, I don't have any arguments against that. Uh, I could have gone this way, and we'll talk more about Bowser later on because, like I told you before we started recording, my offensive MVP and my biggest surprise kind of contradict each other. But I went, I think, an, an almost equally obvious route and picked Ryan O'Keefe. Um, I know we talked a little bit about Ryan O'Keefe. I don't remember if it was last week or the week before. Uh, I think it was the week before. But as much as they've added in terms of talent and as much as, like, as, much as they have weapon-wise at receiver and in the backfield, I still think he's going to be such a massive part of their offense in terms of not only catching the ball, but the, the reverses they run with him. And I don't think it has to be where like he's the only guy that's going to be you know, running, he's not the only guy they can run the offense through, but I still think it almost might help him that he's still going to be surrounded by so much more talent and it kind of gives him maybe a lesser role. He's not going to be the central figure, but I think that's going to allow him to play a little more freely and have a massive season statistically and be that guy. I mean, I I still think he's probably going to be the number one receiver um, and they've got a lot of talent, but that's, that's where I went. And yeah, I know you're probably going to disagree, but. I'm trying to figure out like how big of a hole I want to dig myself on my Ryan O'Keefe takes because they've been not good the last few pods for most UCF it's fans' been, perspective. 
Yeah, it's been weird. So I don't know how I, I should point out that like I almost feel like I'm course correcting with Bowser because if you don't remember last offseason, I just <laughs> was so dismissive of him. Like every time he came up and Bailey was like, I got this Northwestern transfer. I'm like, I could not care less about some third stringer from Northwestern who can't stay healthy. Like, stop talking about it. And to be fair, you got the can't stay healthy part right. <laughs> I sure did. But when he was healthy, UCF could not lose. So, yeah. you know, and also he just, you know, really, really talented player. So I'm kind of course correcting there and I'm course correcting with my defensive MVP too. And we'll talk about that, but my, let's just double down. I don't think like I would bet like a lot of money right now that Ryan O'Keefe does not leave, lead the team in receiving yards this year. I think he's going to be a very important weapon. I think he's going to be one of their top weapons on offense, but I don't think that like, this is going to sound so dismissive and it's this is going to age so poorly. I almost feel like if you subtracted Ryan O'Keefe from the team and replaced him with an average wide receiver, I don't think my expectations for this season would necessarily change. I very strongly disagree. Yeah, that's going to age so badly. I, I, like, I regret disagree. saying that, but I'm just going to say how I feel. That is how I feel. That is how I feel. Now, I, I think he's I think... a really good, I think he's going to be a really, really good number two option this year, but I think that his role last year was more about circumstance with the offense than him actually elevating himself to become a really, really elite wide receiver. Well, that's the thing is like, I don't think necessarily he, he did that last year, but I think he can this year. I think he in 2020 showed the initial signs of being a really good receiver. And he was more of a number probably three option in that year. Um, and then last year he was forced to be the number one. And I don't know if necessarily he was all the way ready for that. But this year, I think he'll be the number one, but he doesn't have to be the only guy. And I think that's where you kind of give him maybe some better matchups because they're not going to only have to worry about him. I know they had Brandon Johnson last year, and he was basically the red zone guy. And also, like I just said, I think he's going to lead the team in receiving yards. You don't think so. But I don't think he necessarily even has to to still warrant MVP status. I think what he does as a runner, too, can help. I mean, last year he had 274 rushing yards on – what is that? 16 carries and 17 yards per carry. Um, so, I mean, if you add that to his 812 receiving yards, I'm really bad at math. Is that that's close to a thousand yards, if not over a thousand yards. So I think like, and I keep, it's, it's weird. It's kind of like a, a I mean, it's a kind of a contradiction, I guess, but it's, I think he can have a smaller role and do more with that smaller role. And, and if that makes any sense. Well, there's merit to what you're saying about him not leading the team in receiving yards and still being the MVP. I mean, we see that all the time with, you know, great, offensive weapons who create room for the other offensive weapons because the defense has to account for them so heavily. But part of what you're saying too, about all the roles they used him in last year, are we going to see him in those roles this year? Cause you could argue that UCF has better play or not better players, but players better suited to those roles. Now, like wasn't the whole point of flipping Xavier Townsend as though so that he could be the new like utility Otis Anderson type. And if you're going to have John Rice Plumley out there, either as the starter or situationally, which let's be real, it's going to be situationally. Mikey's starting. I'm sticking on that train. But I, I just, it, it's like as far as those type of plays, like those sort of crafty running plays and plays on the ground that confuse a defense, it feels like O'Keefe is not the desired personnel for those plays anymore. I mean, that was, he was just the only guy who could do anything on offense last year. And that's why he ended up in that role. I still think we'll see him in that role. I mean, I think it worked, it worked so well last year that like, why would they not? I mean, maybe he's not going to be the only guy in that role, but why would they not at least use his, you know, use his talent. I don't know. And maybe they will. Maybe they will. Because I don't know, like Xavier Townsend, I think he probably does suit the role really well, but he's not even on campus. He's also a freshman. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't know. That's why, I mean, I feel like it's somewhat of an obvious, like it's a safe pick it almost, but at the same time, there's like room for him to be more of a role player again, I guess. But I mean, listen, I still feel feel comfortable. I'm deeply in the minority on this. I don't know if there's anyone who shares this belief. So like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, you're all crazy. I'm right. Like I just, that's, that's just kind of the vibe I got from last year, especially when like the floor, because honestly, UCF fans, like you could make a case, didn't even feel this way about O'Keefe pre the Florida game. It was like the Florida game happened and UCF didn't have a set quarterback going on and going into the off season. So it became Ryan O'Keefe as our superstar. And I feel like the legend of Ryan O'Keefe is kind of built up over the off season. I don't know if it really matches up anymore with what we actually saw last year is basically. What's so what's so interesting to me about the year he had last year is he had 84 catches and he averaged under 10 yards per catch. So I think with the talent around him and with, you know, maybe some better blocking, maybe some, some different play designs, play calls, that number will go up in terms of like the average yards per catch. But well, that's he's, he was get... very much a guy that was like, you could throw it to him on a screen and he would get you six or seven yards. You have to wasn't... throw out the basically all the wide receiver stats from last year because they were rolling with a true freshman quarterback who was never supposed to see the field that year. I mean, yeah. how many of, I would like an actual stat on how many of Ryan O'Keefe's 84 catches did he catch behind the line of scrimmage? Yeah. 
you know? So like, yeah. I, and I think, I think the offense, it's going to be a completely different attack this year. So I almost feel like you have to just like, chuck I wonder those if stats, it is, you know, you think I mean, Malzahn is Malzahn. I don't think they're going to be like, yeah. I don't think they're going to be anything resembling what they were under Hypel or any kind of, they like don't air. Throw, I still don't think they're going to take, I think they'll still, I think they'll take like maybe one of those a quarter to keep the, keep the defense honest and just see what Which happens. But, but I really do think that the behind the line of scrimmage those because a lot of them weren't even screens. It was just like, you know, we're yeah. just, we're just going to see what happens here. I, I like that was a product more of just having a true freshman quarterback and Mikey getting his feet under him than anything else. Cause they also even started to go away from that towards the end of the season, you know? Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm like, it's, I think I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just think it's like an interesting take on last year. And I'm very curious to see, you know, if you turn out to be right. But I'm going to have to watch myself being right because if what you were describing happens where O'Keefe's stats are less impressive because defenses have to pay so much attention, I can't really claim that as a victory. Right. That's what I'm saying. I'm I'm very curious to see what his role is, like how quote-unquote dominant he is or what his numbers are like and just, yeah, how how defenses have to address him. It's, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have. I also think it depends on who wins the job at quarterback because UCF fans can keep pumping up the spring game all they want. It doesn't change that John Rice probably didn't throw well for most of spring. And I think the wide receivers are going to see very different stats depending on whether they have a pass first quarterback in or a throw or a run first quarterback, or they just said a pass first or throw first quarterback. <laughs> yeah. One of the two. I think too, if Mikey wins the job, as we are thinking he will, I think, yeah, I think there's something to the fact that O'Keefe was his number one guy last year. I mean, and he kind of had to be, but I would, you know, I would kind of argue Brandon Johnson was his number one guy last year. I know, right. I, I would um, like to see the target breakdown because it's just, it's yeah. such a disparity in terms of like, in terms of catches because O'Keefe had 84 and Brandon Johnson had 38. Did I say Jordan Johnson or Brandon Johnson? I don't know. I meant Brandon Johnson, but uh, I don't know. It's, it felt like, I mean, O'Keefe, it felt like there were a lot of design plays for O'Keefe. Like he's yeah. the only guy that Mikey is going to throw to, but then it felt like once they were actually trying to score, he was just, oh, anytime he had options, his eyes were for Brandon Johnson, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just also, it's a type of, the type of different receivers they are. Cause Brandon Johnson's a bigger body guy. You're going to look yep. for him more in the red zone. And then, but okay. That of... brings up another question. What type of receiver is Ryan O'Keefe? Because he was used under Heupel and under, under Malzahn last year in completely different ways. Like what is like his a, desired role? A a speedy slot guy i would say yeah i mean but, i mean would be... you but would you classify a speedy slot guy as the offensive mvp could be i guess yeah i mean i don't i mean i've spent I don't... way longer on the first because it's, it's very expected. it's like a very philosophically like it's a philosophically deep conversation about what last year was and what type of player ryan o'keefe is because you i think you and i are very very far apart on this which is kind of i think that's what's Unusual. why we're talking so long yeah Probably. we usually agree like we line and like i said I'm not even disagreeing with your pick at, at, of uh, Isaiah Bowser, but this, I guess, warrants a deeper conversation because we just agree, disagree so much. What's funny is like, unless O'Keefe literally has like 200 yards and a touchdown or like 1400 yards and 12 touchdowns, I don't think either of us can really be proven right or wrong. Yeah. You know, which I mean, I don't funny. know if we revisit at the end of the season and like, I'll, I'll count it. Necess- I don't know if count as a win, but I'll just be like, I won't feel bad about it if I could say, oh, yeah, there's a case to be made that he was the MVP this year. Which this is another one of those categories, too, where like just to make clear to UCF fans, like I would prefer to be wrong. Like I would love it if he comes out and it like I feel like people get that mixed up sometimes. Like I've gotten that I talked about a couple podcasts ago. It's like I say stuff on this podcast and people think I'm rooting for a UCF player to not be good or for UCF to not win all their games. It's like I'm just offering my opinion, my analysis on what I've seen. It's like I you know, it's like. I would, I hope that Ryan O'Keefe comes out and is literally like a Heisman contending player. That would be awesome. I just like, I don't think it's going to be the case, but wow, we should really move on. We just talked about offense MVP for like a while. We probably should. Let's go on to defense MVP. Do we or want me to sure go first we'll, uh, this time? Oh, I hope to God we don't have competing philosophies on this or this could be like a three hour podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, you yep. go first. I'll go first. All right. Um, and this is kind of interesting because I looked at this in terms of, yeah, I mean, the most valuable player. We talked a couple weeks ago about the most important players to UCF success and differentiating you know, who we left off that list because it wasn't necessarily the best players. This I'm looking more at who I think is going to be the best player on the defense. And that's Devonte Brown. Okay. I just, okay. What? I, smiled. I had Devonte Brown as mine until about an hour ago. And I made this list like a week ago. <laughs> and then I changed it. I changed it at the last <laughs> okay. minute. So we're not far off. And I don't think there's, I mean, it's one of those things that I think in hindsight, we didn't really notice how good Devonte Brown was last year. Yep. hundred percent. Which is crazy. Cause I mean, he, they, I guess, you talked about it last week, like they just weren't throwing the ball his way that much, but also he just, when, when, especially at corners, like you don't really, 
they don't have the interception numbers. They don't have a lot of pass breakups or if they don't mess up a lot, you're not going to talk about them a ton, which is a good thing. I guess if you don't talk about a corner, it's, it's better to not talk about a corner at all than talk about them only when they're messing up, obviously. And so I don't think he had very many slip ups. He didn't allow a touchdown last year. And a lot of, he had a lot of um, snaps and patent pass coverage. And I just think, I think he's going to be the number one guy again this year. I think having a cornerback like that on your defense is so valuable having a shutdown guy and you know, you're going to go up against some offenses in the AAC who, and I mean, probably Louisville too, who are going to have some pretty solid receivers and to have a guy like Devonte Brown, where you're going to be like, I don't have to worry about their number one receiver. I mean, yeah, the number one receiver is going to get some catches and stuff, but you don't really have to worry about the matchup. It's not like 2020 when you're like, we have no one to stop this guy. Then now UCF does. So I think by the end of the season, that's going to prove so valuable. And it is a little bit weird because I kind of toyed around with not doing this because a corner being the defense MVP I'm without like the interception numbers. I don't really know how that's going to work, but that's why, I mean, I still went. Yeah. This but I, I feel like that's almost best. like, a, like not a misunderstanding, but like a misappraisal of what contributes to a team success. Cause right. like, I almost feel embarrassed about how, I don't think we mentioned Devonte Brown last season on our podcast. I think we pod, we podcasted the entire season. He came up maybe once or twice in passing. Yeah. And it's because maybe like, other than maybe like O-lineman, I don't think there's a position that disappears more when the player is doing their job than corner. Like you just don't, because th- what they're doing when corner you have a great, safety. when you have a great corner, well, even safety, sometimes they get the interception. So it's like yeah. a little different, but like when you have a really, really great cornerback, he's basically what he is doing is eliminating a factor from the game. He is eliminating he the, away player, the whole side the of the field. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, and you look at like, I tweeted this even afterwards. It's after, because Devontae Brown was named to some watch list or something. I don't, I don't even remember what the original tweet was. But I quote tweeted it and was like, we just didn't talk about Devontae Brown because teams didn't even want to throw the ball anywhere near his, anywhere near where he was. So it's just like he just sort of dropped out of our minds. And it's like, I assume that he'll be better this year because players tend to improve. He had a great year last year. And like, I'm not going to fight with you on him being defensive MVP. I don't think he'll ever be acknowledged as defensive MVP because if he's as good as he was last year, probably once again, just not going to hear much about him. It's one of those things where like if you don't go back and watch the game again and like particularly focus on him, you might not notice. And that's, I, mean, I don't think like. How often is he even in frame? Right. Could you, I mean, I think, could you, you watch you him? Watch, you watch, yeah. I mean, you have to watch like basically the all 22 film of the game because you're going to, I mean, the, the camera is going to follow the ball. And if they're not thrown to his side of the field, you're not going to see, I mean, that, that's all you can really judge it off of is like, if they're not throwing his way, he must be covering the guy pretty tightly. So the I fact guess that he didn't, I mean, how many, how many coverage snaps did he play? It was some it ridiculous was number. It was like 800 or something like that. It was like some ridiculous. That and they didn't allow a touchdown. Yeah. And the only guys, <laughs> the, the only players in the AAC who had more coverage snaps that did the same thing was what? Sauce Gardner. Wasn't that the stat? Sauce Gardner. Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Most coverage snaps played among AAC cornerbacks without allowing a touchdown last season. It wasn't 800. I don't it was know 300 something, right? Um, Sauce had 482. Devontae Brown had 418. 418. Okay. And then it was Justin Hodges who had 373. Man, another so guy UCF that we really two, probably didn't talk about last year. UCF had two corners that didn't allow a touchdown last year and you see i've had an elite secondary and all we were here was over here like when will brandon adams get into well, the thing is we talked <laughs> we did talk a lot about the secondary as a whole last year i just don't well, think we didn't it, name individuals no we didn't but the secondary got so much better last year well we especially just because even at ucf's peak in 17 and 18 there were issues with the secondary i i mean it was just kind of a constant like and it was never like not like it wasn't 2020 but like it was just always kind of a frustration and last year it just really wasn't a frustration and that was a change What's what was so interesting too is like in those like 2017, 2018, like individually, like you could point out guys like, oh yeah, he had a really good year. But like last year as a unit, like it wasn't, I wouldn't, I mean, I guess obviously Devontae Brown had the best year, but like it just became out the whole year. We were like that secondary was great this year. Well, they've always had stars back there, but it's yeah. just like it, it, last year, you nailed felt it. Like it was the unit. The first time a, in a while, a there was a unit. Yeah. So there wasn't necessarily yeah. a weak link or someone where it was like, oh man, like they're just right. going to target the hell out of this guy. And you know, so that was a nice change. All right, so your defensive MVP. My defensive MVP that I changed to an hour ago would have been Devontae Brown, except I got cold feet. Kobe Perry. All right. So this is my course correction from last year where I was completely dismissive of okay. Bryson Armstrong and spent the whole offseason explaining to Bailey, some random FCS dude is not going to contribute in any way for UCF. Stop taking FCS players seriously. And then <laughs> he was a major, major contributor on defense. Kobe Perry strikes me as the type of guy that T-Will likes where he can – really do a lot of different things in a lot of different places. And I think that he's going to kind of be like that Swiss army knife type on defense, hopefully. And if he lives up, first off, he was an FCS all American. He was the, you know, he was the player defensive player of the year in his league. 
guys slip through the cracks. I mean, how do you think UCF got good? You know, it's like, it's like, and there are, and what I'm realizing and what the transfer portal has shown me is that I was pretty dismissive of FCS. There are some really, really damn good players at the FCS level who just were, who were undersized or came into their weight late or just flat out didn't play to major high school and weren't evaluated properly. And I think Kobe Perry is going to step in and instantly become one of the best players on defense. I do. So there you go. He's, he's my newcomer of the year. So, Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I'm not going to disagree with anything. You were so. giving me a weird look and I thought you were going to disagree. And I, oh no. Okay. No, no, just, no. I just, right. I, I think it was just, I was kind of giving me a weird look looking back on last off season. Yeah. I remember the Bryson Armstrong conversations. Um, and yeah, so maybe that is course some course correcting, but no, I mean, I don't disagree. I have him as my newcomer of the year because yeah, I think he's going to be a guy that does it all on the defense. And when you have a guy like that, it's very easy for him to come the defensive MVP. I mean, you, you probably in, in the role that he's going to play. And as long as he plays it well, as I expect him to, you're probably going to look at the end of the season and say, well, if, would UCF have had this much success without him? Like, where would they be I without agree. him playing this, this role? So, I mean, yeah, he could very easily become a defensive MVP, which I mean, would be awesome for him. I mean, coming from FCS to, you know, stepping right in and contributing at a high level on a team that's expecting to contend. I mean, I don't even think like he's already going to start, right? Like, I don't even know. I'm sure he will. I'm sure he named will. depth chart or anything. I even started fall camp, but I mean, he's just, he seems like he's going to be a key person on that defense, Yeah, which no is what's so cool it. about the transfer portal is that you can just go out and get guys like that. Well, how, I mean, UCF, I mean, they're either starting quarterback or gadget quarterback is going to be a transfer. Uh, yeah. The guy who I think is going to be their leading wide receiver is going to be a transfer. Their starting tight end probably is going to be a transfer. Multiple spots on the O-line are going to be a transfer. Multiple spots on the D-line are going to be a transfer. Kobe Perry is a transfer. I, linebacker is basically just all Jeremiah, Gene Baptiste, and a bunch of transfers. I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah. hey, it's, it, it is crazy. I mean, when you're a team like UCF that it can actually take advantage of the portal to its full street, because there are other, there are a lot of teams out there that the portal just sucks because they just lose their best players every year. That's been happening now. And it's unfortunate, but it's just, it, it is what it is. You know, I, like I said, yeah. I, 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 there was a lot of like philosophical debate when they add not so much a transfer portal, but when they added the free transfer rule of like, well, how this will hurt group of five teams, this will hurt whatever. And I'm like, I didn't necessarily disagree at the time, but it was more just like, listen, like it's really stupid to tell players that they're not allowed to change schools. Like I, as a non-athlete was allowed to change schools if I wanted to, when I was in college and to say, well, because you play football, you can't did not make sense. What it boiled down to so easily is like they commit to play for a certain coach. And if that coach can just up and leave whenever he wants to, and they, they can't like the coach can go, they don't have to sit out a year and take their yeah. job. They go get paid a bunch of money and coach right away. Meanwhile, if this guy wants to leave because the new coach isn't somebody he vibes with or he just that's not the coach he committed to play for, he has to transfer and then sit out like it just never made as sense. As recently, I mean, it's, it's crazy this, how as recently as five or six years ago, players were not allowed to transfer to teams within their conference. It's so, it's so and weird. we were just accepted that we we're like, yeah, yeah OK, it's, it's like, like, oh, yeah, I get it. <laughs> just ridiculous. And yeah, but you're right. Coaches can, you know quit on their team in October, even if they want. I mean, how like, the silliest one to me this year was when did TCU fire Gary Patterson? It was really early in the year. I think it was like mid October. And like, yeah, even though he didn't quote unquote, accept the job until November, the whole time it was like Sonny Dykes is clearly taking this job and SMU season just went off the rails so badly, but that's fine. But Oh, a player transferring is not, and it's helped. It depends on the school. Like UCF is a group of five school. And even if UCF was not going to the big 12, the transfer portal would have been a huge weapon for them. As we've seen, it just, it depends on the school. Yeah. Well, we, we talked so much about Ryan O'Keefe, but I think we might be kind of making up for that by my newcomer of the year being your, your defensive MVP. So we just made up some time. Yeah, there we go. Um, but let's get your, your newcomer of the year then, because we already got mine. My newcomer of the year is Kobe Hudson. I, well, two, but lots, I have two Kobe's on my list, but they're spelled <laughs> differently. So it doesn't count. I, I already thought Kobe Hudson was a really nice addition. He led Auburn in receiving yards last year. That's a slightly misleading stat because he led them with like 400 something yards and Auburn yeah. was also very bad. But I everything out of spring ball was that he was fantastic. And then he came out in the spring game and was fantastic. So I think that, I mean, I, I am going into the season assuming that he is going to be their best receiver this year. So, and that for me warrants newcomer of the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, almost, I almost picked him here too. So I don't have any qualms with that at all. I think he's going to be, like I said, I picked O'Keefe for my MVP, but I still think uh, he could be, Kobe Hudson could be, I almost said Lee Hunter could be the leading, leading receiver. <laughs> Kobe Hudson can be the leading receiver and and still I think O'Keefe could have. But I think whether he leads in receiving yards or not, I think he's going to be a major part of the offense. And, you know, to have a guy like that, I mean, he's basically, I assume, going to take the kind of Brandon Johnson role, where, but maybe probably a bigger role than Brandon Johnson had. Um, 
And to me, to me, as good as Brandon Johnson was last year, especially in the red zone, he had like 11 touchdowns or 12 touchdowns. I think Hudson's going to be even better. Not necessarily like he's not going to have more touchdowns or anything, but I just think in terms of for, cause for Brandon Johnson, you wouldn't really hear a lot about him and then he'd catch a touchdown. I think yep. Hudson will be a part of every game throughout the whole game. I think Hudson's going to be a very active part of the offense. I yeah. think that's safe to say at this point. And I think he's going to yeah. be a huge addition for them, frankly. I mean, I like, he was one of the ones where it's like, especially with Jalen Robinson leaving, like that actually became a much more critical transfer than we realized at the time, because you oh, look yeah. at the depth behind him and it's not bad, but who would be up next? Probably Jalen Griffin, who, um, why are you smiling? Can we move on? Oh no. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's just move on. Never Kobe Hudson, my newcomer of the year. Well, no, it's the same conversation because my breakout player of the year is Jalen Griffin. And I'm realizing okay. I'm digging myself a, a hole here because I think you are O'Keefe's all in on be, the wide receivers. I know. Year, I think man. O'Keefe's going to be the MVP. I think Hudson's going to have a really good year. And I think Jalen Griffin's going to be the breakout player of the year. Wow. Um, that's scary. I'm, You're going to love my biggest surprise. We should do that. <laughs> well, okay. So we'll do, yeah, we are doing that next i gotta give my uh breakout players still yeah yeah jalen griffin he set the standard all off season we've seen it (laughs) we've seen it he's been in the weight room he's been leading all the receivers he's he's a guy that i think the coaches and i just based off of off-season hype everyone's expecting to see him have a bigger role it's going to be interesting because you have o'keefe and you have hudson as your top two guys but then you have a guy like jalen griffin you have a freshman kwan lee you have some other guys that are mari johnson yeah, Mari Johnson. You got guys in the mix behind those top two. So there's a chance I go way off here again, like I did last year when I picked Jordan Johnson. But I think, you know, Jalen Griffin, they seem to be expecting a lot from him. He, he expects a lot from himself. And I think in this year, I mean, breakout, what constitutes a breakout? I guess that's a very philosophical question in itself. But he doesn't have to be like the top receiver. Or I think he I think would he need, could... I would think he would need multiple catches outside of garbage time every game. Oh, yeah. I, I, mean, I think I, I think, at like bare minimum, that's what I yeah. would say. Because like I'm trying to think, and I, I probably I think anytime you've got a guy who like, came up through JUCO and didn't really play at all last year, getting multiple catches a game, then I would say that I'd say that's a breakout. Yeah, I'm like I I would expect him to be the number three receiver, and I think he's. I'm pretty do sure well that's what we're role. adding, unless Quan Lee just like really impressive really, really which he but, might i mean wide receiver isn't as much of a curve as some of these other positions are coming up from high school yeah right? it's just I, it's i find it maybe maybe i'm gonna regret saying this but i find it hard to believe or hard to imagine a guy who has had as good of an offseason as jalen griffin losing out on a job on, on his job to a guy who's coming in in august but also it's like it's it's a position where you're it's not like you're just going to see the top three guys and that's right, it, you know, right, so yeah. either way, I think he has a good chance of seeing a lot of time on the field. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about with the set the standard thing, if you've like missed that, <laughs> Jalen Griffin, like the entire all of spring ball, it was it the strength staff would post those things, the like who did well in the weight room, who didn't, whatever. Yeah. And every single week it was Jalen Griffin set the standard for his position this week or for the offense this week. And he would post it on his Instagram story every week. And it became like our great fun in the spring because he would put, it's a whole list of all the players. So you would see at the top, he would circle it like Jalen Griffin, um, Jalen Griffin set the standard. And then below it would be like, this player did not show up for workouts or like (laughs) this player could not complete the workout. One of them, it was like the coolest thing I've ever seen. It was, I'm not going to say who the player was, but it was a lineman. And it was like, not only did he not complete the workout, but he showed a poor attitude and an unwillingness to be coached. And I'm like, Jalen just like blasted this into the whole world. So everyone can see this. So here's the kind of like breakout season I'm, I, w- I was imagining or envisioning for him. Gabriel Davis's freshman year, and I know they're not freshman, freshman doesn't line up, but Gabriel Davis's freshman year in 2017, he had 27 catches for 391 yards and four touchdowns. Gabe Davis had 300 yards in 2017? Almost 400. I do not remember him being that big of a year, but okay. 391. Yeah, he went 391, then 815, and 1,241. So I remember being absolutely baffled when 2018 started and he was like, great. I didn't see that one coming. Oh, I, I thought. Really? I just assumed Trey Nixon was going to like clean up, you know, oh. because yeah. I'm an SEC homer apparently. And I'm like, you SEC transfer. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's, that's kind of like the range. Like if he's around the 400 yard mark and has like, you know, three to five touchdowns, I'll feel pretty good about this pick. I agree with that. I think that's okay. Honestly, I can improve upon last year's breakout pick. If he has like two catches. Yeah. If he plays, if he has a yeah. single catch, you've improved on last year. <laughs> single catch. Yeah, That's fair. All right, should we what, do biggest? What if Jordan Johnson? What if this is the year for Jordan Johnson? Jordan Johnson's never going to play, man. I like you got to let that one go. How does that? How does just? How does that happen? I I mean, as far as what we've been told and stuff, he just can't catch. Like he's athletic, he can run his routes, just can't catch the ball. Like that's so weird. Is it because have you ever actually tried to catch a football? 
Oh yeah. Very hard. Like yeah, wide receivers know, make saying, it look very saying, easy. But how do you like how do you have the, the career you did in high school to be a five star recruit, go to Notre Dame, but you can't catch the whole time? Like it's that much of an adjustment. Like we just said wide receiver isn't that big of an adjustment, is it? I but know. I don't know. Could be a whole it could be a, a mental thing too. Who knows? It probably you, is a little bit, which is at this point, if you're if you go from a five star to you haven't played in a few years. Maybe you're which yeah, I, don't I mean know, he was a, he was a four star to be fair he was a five star on rivals but he was a two four seven composite yeah four star. but even still you're a four star I mean hey, is there a highly rated player for sure but four stars don't pan out all the time you know? that's true look at yeah. a one of UCF's highest rated recruits in history Cordarian, Payton, Richard, right? Cordarian Richardson Cordarian Richardson well, I was oh. gonna go for Cordarian Richardson we need Tristan Payton too. <laughs> yeah oh man Tristan Payton's touchdown pass was cool um all right your breakout player of the year <laughs> was that against like USF in twenty sixteen was yeah 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 what was mine. Your breakout player of the year. I forgot we haven't done mine yet. I already crossed that off. Um, your favorite player, Brandon Adams. I almost picked him. <laughs> I almost picked him, but then I just like I thought people were gonna like treat it as a joke. Uh, he had a really good year for he did. He did really, like, really good. It's like it's become like a running thing that I was like every week was like, oh, he's gonna get his first interception this week because he was just playing that well. I was like, he's interception, great. interception is coming. I just don't know when. Maybe it'll come against SC State. He wasn't like an every game starter, but just to come in and be that caliber as a true freshman, I don't think yeah. people recognize how rare that is. Like pretty impressive. So I'm definitely going with him as my breakout. I don't even think that's like that, like contentious of a pick. I think no, that's no, fairly no. likely. I they think just, I can I mean, claim I think him as a breakout pretty easily. The only thing, the only thing that would make a contentious pick is just the fact that they have so many corners that. And I thought play. about that. I didn't think about that's, that, but it's also just like, eh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you, know, you can't go wrong there. Yeah. Well, we didn't have a lot, a lot to say there, did we? Yeah, there we go. Brandon um, Adams. Biggest surprise. This is the one you just were teasing, right? And I tried yeah. to tease mine a little bit earlier. So do you want to you start here? Because I've gone the last two. Um, my biggest surprise is that the passing game is going to be much better and much more important to UCF success than I think the average fan is considering. So congrats okay. on basically filling your ballot with receivers. Um, and my reasoning for that for is me. a couple different things. First off, I think that like, listen, Malzahn is a run first coach through and through. But I feel like UCF fans in general just are kind of like expecting like, yeah, that's what we'll do. And if JR and all UCF fans think JRP is going to start, so we'll just do all these crazy, you know, all sorts of gadget plays and crazy run plays, whatever. And I'm like, I think that they, you just can't ignore the skill talent that they have at receiver. And, and honestly, whether it's Mikey or JRP, I think that the receivers are going to all have a very good year. And I think that it's going to be an important part of what UCF does. I'm not saying UCF's not going to be run first, but I think we're going to see a lot more through the air than the average UCF fan is expecting. So that's my, yeah, mine. So mine, like I said, contradicted my offensive MVP. It kind of aligned with your offensive MVP and it kind of contradicts your biggest surprise. Actually, I don't think it does. I don't, I couldn't even track what you just said, but okay. Okay. So I'm saying my pick contradicted my offensive MVP. Okay. It aligned with your offensive MVP because it's about Isaiah Bowser. And I first said it was, it was kind of contradicting your biggest surprise, but I don't think it actually is because you can have a good balance where, you're you're a passing team and you have good balance yeah you probably would is that isaiah bowser will stay healthy this year that's surprise number one there's kind of two here he's gonna so he's gonna stay healthy this year and he's gonna rush for a thousand yards is that a biggest surprise or a biggest prayer both (laughs) i think it's that that prayer will be answered i think i disagree with both of those you i mean i you know if i really 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 reach down to the depths of my heart i probably disagree with it too i just He's going to get hurt at some point. I don't, I don't think he's going like, to miss all, half the season, but he's going to get hurt at some point. It's all predicated on the idea of managing him as well as you can. And, I'm, this was, and I did the math on this because last year, and he had a couple of 30-carry games, but he also missed a lot of time. Last year, he had 703 yards on 159 carries. So he averaged 4.4 yards per carry. My goal range for him this year is just average like 18 carries per game, right? I would so, prefer he'd be well below that, to be honest with you. All right. Well, yeah, but average. So I'm saying, like, you're probably against, I don't know, who am I going to throw under the ball? Against Temple, run him 10 times. Why? But against, well, I don't know. What, what do you want him to play at all? Like, I don't think I want happen. him to, literally, I'm not, I'm, I feel like I didn't make my take clear. If they are not playing a team that can beat them, I want to see him for like a drive or two. I don't, that's, that's not going to happen. Why is it not going to happen? It's just not. How mad are you going to be when he gets hurt in the third quarter against Temple when UCF's up 28 to three? I'm not saying he has to play the third quarter. I just said 10 carries is not a lot. You can give him 10 carries in uh, one quarter and three drives. That's too much. Sure. Okay. So here's what I'm saying. Average 18 per game. Per, 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 average 18 per game. So 18 times 12 games. What is that? It's 216 carries. 
if he plays all 12 games. If he averages 4.4 yards per carry, which I think he would average more than that, but if he averages 4.4, that would be 950 yards. But I think he's going to average more than that. So he's around five. If he averages around the five yards per carry range, he's breaking a thousand yards. I mean, breaking a thousand yards isn't that hard in college. I mean, I mean, like throughout 13 games to break a thousand yards, you have to average 77 yards a game. Like, yeah, I, I think he could do that fairly easily. I, I like I would hope it would be but like I'm saying he had, if he stays healthy and does that I would still I'd be surprised so it's I feel like you, you're getting one or the other he's either going to stay healthy or have a thousand yards <laughs> like I don't know probably but because if he's playing it would be if surprising if both things to, happen which is why I picked it as my biggest surprise it would be a big surprise I hope so I mean I, I yeah. and I actually like I, I get I'm being too conservative with him but I honestly like I'm not joking like I don't want to see him outside of the first quarter against SC State there's just no reason to no it. no against SC and State no I think UCF setting up for that I mean he literally I think he was no contact all spring yeah he didn't play in the spring game because I think why, he played like very why? I don't, actually I don't know if he played in any of the scrimmages to be honest with you because why would you and right. my take extends to SC State. Why Why would you play him against that? Like, honestly, like, other than the fact that he wants to get drafted, he's also a football player and wants to play football, I would be like, don't even play him against SC State. If he averages 15 carries per game, is 15 enough as, like, an average? An average that, of that, 15? Yeah. Okay. So that's 180 on the season. If he averages five yards per carry, that's 900 yards. It's pretty but good. But if he I – mean, yeah, I mean, I think 4.4 it's, – it's interesting because he's, like, he's obviously such a bruising running back that, like, if he's going to get, if you need, if it's third and two, he's going to get you a first down. He's not a guy that's going to break off a lot of long runs. What's his longest last year? 36 yards. I mean, but, to me, his most valuable runs are the ones that go for three or four yards when it's like second and three or third and two and whatever. And the defense needs a stop. And we just say, okay, Bowser, get in there. And wears do it. down and, a defense. And yeah. I mean, that's to me is, and the other thing that fuels my take on this is like, it's not like Bowser is their only option at running back. They right. have a couple other really, really good options. So it's not like they have to – like, it's not like when you take Bowser out, there's no longer a run game. Well, yeah, I mean, imagine imagine you – a drive where – I mean, I know they're not going to have long, long drives, but imagine you have a drive where you've got Johnny in the backfield and, you know, you run the ball well with him, you're throwing these short passes, you're working your way down the field, you score a touchdown, you get the ball back quickly, whether it's a turnover, you get a stop. And then you trot Bowser out there to to kill the defense a little bit more. Like, I mean, it's going to be hard to stop. That's a dream hard what to you just described. Defense. I mean, yeah. honestly. Throw MA out there for fun, too. It's got to happen It's got to happen once, at least, so I can be like, remember when I said on that podcast? It will. Like, honestly, I think that's yeah. like the game plan for them, to be honest. Yeah. I think no, Johnny's so. going to have way more carries than Bowser this season, but I don't think Johnny's going to be like the number one running back, if that makes sense. It's kind of weird. Johnny Johnny averaged seven yards per carry last year. Which was yeah, of- I gave him a lot of crap, but he actually had a pretty good year. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, we're on to our final one, biggest disappointment, which is always a funny one to end on. Yes. Because it's like we talk about how good UCF can be and all these great things, and now it's like, what's going to be disappointing about the year? But, hey, I think it might be a good thing to even things out. Yep, let's do it. Um, who's going first? Uh, I think I just went first, so you should go first. All right, mine is that UCF will not win the conference championship. What? And it'll be disappointing because, like, I think they have all the tools and I think they have all the players. We've got coaching staff got the schedule it sets up really well for it and i think they could win the conference championship but i think if you're looking at everything i don't know i'm, I'm not picking them to win the conference championship right now i still think they could like me saying that the biggest disappointment is that they're not going to win doesn't mean i don't think they can let me make that clear but if they don't my thing here is like if they don't it still can be and we saw this in 2019 and there's you know people are going to argue about that but you can have a good season and not win the conference championship i mean ucf uh, i think is going to win UCF 10 games that UCF's going to win 10 games this year at least. And even if they don't win the conference championship, they're going to probably finish in the top 25. And I feel good about that season. You know, it would suck. That's what makes it so disappointing is like, it's the last year in the AAC. You want to go out as the conference champion. You know, you want to take the crown back from Cincinnati, all that stuff. And so it's going to be disappointing if they don't win it. But I think you can take a lot of momentum into the Big 12, even if you don't win it. But I think it's, it's, I, I think another you, reason. Go ahead. So media day is in like a, a week. So that's when we'll get the preseason poll and stuff um, or preseason, whatever they call the preseason poll for conference. Yeah. media whatever, poll, yeah. Preseason poll, So, whatever. yeah. So I'm curious to see how that plays out. I will so bet you money right now that how it much will they're going to wait Cincinnati. It will be the top of the AAC preseason poll will go this way. Houston, Cincinnati, UCF. That's kind of, yeah. That's that kind of what I think in that order. I would, I would bet money on that right now. Which I kind of like. I'm fine with I that. Think, 
Yeah, I hate no. when UCF's not the underdog. It's really frustrating. And they typically like perform worse when they're not the underdog. And so I can um, feel validated in saying right now they're not going to win the conference championship, but still feeling 100% confident that they could. Yeah, I don't think that saying UCF's not going to be the best team of their league is like a hot take. I mean, it's like, you yeah. know, UCF fans might not agree with that. But, I mean, I my personal goal slash expectation for the season is get to the game. And what happens yeah. in the game happens, but get to the game. And, you know, there are other good teams in the AAC this year. I don't think Cincinnati's a threat to win the conference again. I, 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 I've said this on the podcast before. They are major 2019 UCF vibes to me where there's not really any reason to consider them a contender for the league, but they've been really good the last few years. So we're just going to anyway. I mean, that was exactly a lot, UCF 2019. a lot has to go right for them to win it a lot. They do not, yeah. they don't have a particularly favorable schedule. They lost. I mean, the production, the athletic did their state of the program where they do the lost production. I sent you the graph. I mean, they lost everybody. Yeah. Everybody. And they didn't do much in the portal. So I'm not saying they're going to be bad. Like if I had to predict since he's record right now, I'd say nine and three, which is not bad by any means, no. but I just, I don't think they're like, I think, I think this, uh, this is going to age so badly. Hopefully not. I think Houston and UCF are above the rest of the league. I think it's them and it's everyone else. So in my mind, if you're one of the top two teams in the league, you really just need to take care of business and be in the game. What happens in the game happens. It would be cool to win the AAC, especially since I have no idea when their next chance at a conference title will be since they're going into a next really, year, really no. tough league now. Um, yeah, there you go. But yeah, I, I don't agree. I, it's, it would be a disappointment for sure if they didn't win it, but I don't think it's like, I don't think that's a, I think that's a disappointment that's going to like very easily have a chance of coming true, I guess is what I'd Yeah, on. and that's what I was like saying before when you and I were talking before we started recording is that like, that is something that you and I can agree on that they can have a, a really good season this year and not win the conference championship. And that's not going to be a popular take with UCF fans. Like for UCF fans, if you say, you know, if you tell them at the end of the year, or if you, you tell them now, the end of the year, UCF's not going to win the conference. They're going to say, oh, they had a bad year. Which is yeah. not the it's not the case, but that's just the way. But that's just how UCF are. fans are. They're ever since 2017, they're all or nothing. It's like UCF either yeah. went to the Cotton Bowl or did not play this year. Like that's just. I mean, if you win lame, ten games, but... if you win ten games, you're probably going to finish ranked. I if would UCF think so. Finish the season ranked. That's if a they good went season. ten and two and lost the bowl to go to ten and three, they probably wouldn't finish ranked. But if they like went nine and three and won the bowl and were ten and three, or they went ten and two and won and were eleven and two, I think they're ranked. Well, but it, so in the scenario that they make it to the game. Say they get there, they're 10 and two, they lose the conference championship, they're 10 and three, and they win the bowl game, they're 11 and three. I still think they make it 11 I don't, wins. I, I don't think a 11 win AAC team has ever not been ranked. I right. Mean, yeah. They would be ranked. So, I mean, if they get to the, if they get, let me try to, what was, what did I just say? 10 and two. I don't know that they'd get to the bowl game. I mean, to get to the conference championship game at nine and three, maybe they could, but if they did, depends they on the losses. Lost. I mean, if they lost to like Louisville and, yeah. I, don't know, I wonder Georgia if they'd be, a t- would a ten and four UCF team be ranked? It depends on how they got to ten. If and they four. won the bowl, it's game. really like hard. If they for... were nine and three, lost the conference championship game, won the bowl. Game. Unless you're in the New Year's Six bowl, it's really hard for a group of five teams to lose their bowl and get ranked. So yeah. it just kind of depends on the order that happens. If they for some reason like lose to Louisville and Georgia Tech and FAU and then SMU, they just have the worst start in history. But then they went out and they go eight and four. Then they like, and then they win the league title and they win a bowl to go to 10 and four. I think they'd be ranked at that point, but yeah. you know, if they're 10 and two and then lose their final two games, then no, no, my, my thought was more if they were nine and three lost the conference championship and then won the bowl. To I just, like four. you said though, I just, I don't really see a scenario how they're nine and three and in the conference title. Cause you're not going to, unless the AAC is like stunningly weak this year, I don't see how you're in the conference title game with more than one loss in conference. Probably. And I don't see two losses out of conference. So no, me neither. All right. Let's get your biggest disappointment. My biggest disappointment will be the quarterbacks. I believe that UCS quarterbacks will be the biggest disappointment in the eyes of the fans. And the reason I'm going with this take is I tweet, I posted our article on Night Sports Now, which you guys should go read, unless you listen to the podcast where we discussed the same thing, which was the 10 and players who are most important to UCF success in 2022. I had John Rice Plumley higher on the list than Mikey Keene, not because I expect him to start, but because John Rice Plumley is going to factor in either way. He's either going to start and be the starter or he's not going to start and be their gadget guy. So he'll factor in either way. Someone quote tweeted it and said, I saw all I needed to in the spring game highlights. Mikey Keene is solid and we'd be in good hands, but I think JRP is going to be scary good and will have one of the best seasons we've ever seen from a UCF quarterback. And this could have been tweet of the week. Honestly, if, if I wasn't bringing it up here, it would have been, but I didn't want to like double down on the tweet. Yeah. And I'm being nice and not saying who tweeted it, but I like, I know that UCF fans are insane and I know that their like weird infatuation with JRP has only grown post spring game, even though Mikey had like a very, very nice true freshman year. And you guys did this exact same thing with Mackenzie Milton in 2016, 2017. 
But let me be like abundantly clear, whether Mikey wins the job or JRP wins the job, neither of them is Mackenzie Milton. I don't think either of them are some superstar in the making who is going to crash the Heisman ballot or anything like that. And I think, but the thing that UCF fans have forgotten just because of how they were good in 2017, 2018, is that you do not need to have a top five quarterback in the country to be very good. Desmond Ritter is a game manager and Cincinnati went to the playoffs. Like you do not need a superstar quarterback. And I've just realized that whatever happens this year is going to be a disappointment because if Mikey wins the job, the fans who wanted JRP to win will just be angry at every bad thing he does. UCF can be 12 and 0 and they will still be clamoring for JRP. I promise you that. If JRP wins, they are going to be like, yes, we have our new Mackenzie Milton. And JRP will not be the new Mackenzie Milton and they will be upset. So I've just realized that whatever happens at quarterback, it's going to be a disappointment in the eyes of some of these fans. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't have much to say to that. That's where I'm I mean, at. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it's I was, you gave me a little bit of a hint at what your disappointment was and said you're basically going to use it to talk about the fans and so when you started with the quarterbacks I was like well you just said that the surprise was going to be that the passing game was going to be such a big factor which is so funny to think about the passing game being such a factor and then UCF fans still being disappointed tell me that wouldn't exa- it, tell it, me no, that is not happen. on the table it would happen no it would happen I like um, I think that like Mikey Keene could come out and like win the job and throw for like 25 touchdowns to like six interceptions throw for like 2,800, 2,900 yards. And fans would just be like, I miss Mackenzie Milton. Or like, why isn't JRP? And like every single time Mikey throws a pick, he could throw three picks the whole season. Every single time he throws on Twitter, it's just going to be like, put in JRP. And it's just like, I'm not looking forward to it. I'm really not. And if JRP wins the job, it's just going to be the slow realization that he's not Milton. And again, this is another situation. I'd love to be wrong. I love if JRP was Milton. He's just not going to be, you know? So yeah. Well, now you have me daydreaming about a season in which Mikey Keene throws 25 touchdowns with six interceptions. But by UCF standards, that's not good. I mean, well, that's no, like, but it is, though. It's it is, stat. but they will be upset. I think that UCF fans, between, going from Milton to Gabriel, has totally warped what like a normal quarterback stat line is. Yeah. So, because I mean, Gabriel came in as a freshman. What did he do? Like 29, right? As a freshman. He threw 29 as a freshman. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll be fun. I can't wait, though. Can't wait for kickoff. We're getting close. Um, yeah, we are. Let's jump into the football news here real quick. Um, UCF players, they had a bunch of players named to the Shrine Bowl 1000, which was basically the watch list for the Shrine Bowl. I think it was 1,000 players. So kind of – I didn't even know they did that. It might be the first year they've done it. But UCF had Ryan O'Keefe, Tylen Grable, Devad Wilson, Alex Ward, Ryan Swoboda, Traymond Morris-Brash, Kimor Gamble, Lokahi Paule, Isaiah Bowser, and uh, John Rice Plumley and Kobe Perry named in. I saw someone try to make fun of the fact that Mikey Heen was on the list and he's not a senior. So I think oh hopefully it was in Did jest. someone really tweet that? Hopefully it was in jest. I think it was more like, yeah, I think it was in jest or it was just kind of like not really them realizing what the list was. I don't think they would be that. I am. I do not like this fan base. And frankly, I never have. But thank you for <laughs> listening to the Pegasus podcast. <laughs> Whatever it was, it was. Uh, so yeah, all those players on the Shrine Bowl watch list. Uh, another non-conference uh, announcement UCF added Sam Houston State to the 2024 non conference schedule and that replaces its previously scheduled game with Liberty. This feels like it happened two weeks ago. Yeah, I was about to. I literally I saw that someday. on here and I'm like, that yeah. has happened between podcasts. I think for those on Twitter been... or for those who didn't see my tweet or anyone else's tweet about it, Sam Houston State is going to be in Conference USA at that point. So UCF is not playing two FCS teams that year. Sam Houston State will be in Conference USA and they're good. They won the national championship two years ago. And they're very, very good. I actually don't like the UCS playing them. Not a fan of that, but uh, whatever. Yeah, that's a good program. Will um, there be a, like a better entry to UCF truly being a power five team than paying a team to come beat them? Like, will that be the like we've made it moment? I hope not. <laughs> Me too. Um, UCF's in the top three for Christopher Pearson, a three-star DB out of Alabama. They're joined in the top three by UAB and Liberty. It's like a sobering moment, I think, to me where like, I feel like we've gotten so used to guys like top fives and top threes being all these like big, big schools. So like when I saw it was like UAB and Liberty, I was like, oh, that's an interesting one. Like, and that's just what it always has been. That's what every single UCF recruit from 2000 basically right. to, to two years ago looked like. That was what the right. offer list was. It was a spoiled moment for me. I was like, I was like UAB and Liberty. I was like, really? But I mean, you know, he seems like he's a good player and you know, they're in the mix for him. I think he's announcing soon. I don't remember. I didn't write that down, but. Well, anyway. I would hope they're in the mix. Yeah. Um, UCF Board of Trustees approved the PlayFly multimedia rights deal, as well as the naming of the entrance to the future football camp- campus. It'll be the Sharon and Mark Hagel Gateway. 
and rightfully so, considering how much money they've given to uh, to yeah, UCF. Name I whatever mean, the heck they want after. Yeah, them. if they want, like, if honestly. they want a chair in, I don't know, in one of the, if they want one chair, one singular chair in the bounce house or in the press box or wherever, if they want it named after them, do it. Do it. Can we go want. back to Christopher Pearson really quickly? Yeah, because I'm like, why haven't I heard of this kid? UCF offered him a week ago. Really, and so, yeah. so he's he's gonna commit to UCF. I would take that as he's committing to UCF that we offered him and then he immediately released a top three, which was two teams that were recruiting him for months and UCF. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that Memphis. Offered him. Really? Yep. Anyway, back to yeah. your regularly scheduled news. <laughs> um, I kind of referenced it earlier. AAC media day was announced uh, for July 28th. It'll be virtual, which is annoying. Um, Gus Malzahn and select players are scheduled to speak that day at three 30. Um, so that's next Thursday. I think, right? And that's next Thursday. It kind of lines up well because we have a a topic planned for next week's podcast, which we'll record Monday or Wednesday. And then then we have the following week, we'll be talking kind of AAC preview kind of stuff. So we'll wrap up media days and then preview the conference. All that stuff lines up really well. Um, Tampa Tampa Catholic four-star linebacker, Lewis Carter, committed to Oklahoma over UCF and Auburn. This isn't even one that was on my radar. UCF was never even remotely in that. I don't like that but was like, nice. That was nice of him to put UCF in the top three, but that was not right. I didn't even thing. heard of him. Yeah. Which is like, so I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. I thought it was weird. Came out of nowhere to me. Um, speaking of quarterbacks from we were talking about earlier, Gus Malzahn told 96, nine, the game on Monday that he hopes to name a starting QB early in fall camp. They're going to have two early scrimmages and he hopes to name one after the second scrimmage, um, which I mean, I'm all for it. Listen, I, I'm just going to say it again to anyone listening and they can spread the word. It's like, I, we don't know who's going to win the job. I don't think the coaches know yet. Um, but a lot of UCF fans are just 100%. This is over. It's John Rice family. This is not over. And I honestly would still give the edge to Mikey right now. I really would. So like, I just wish that more people, cause I'm again, it could be JRP. Like I literally would put it at like 55% Mikey, 45% JRP on the odds right now. But I just am not looking forward to the Twitter explosion. If it is Mikey, cause so many fans are like, it like this is over like UCF does not have a quarterback competition in their minds and I don't really get how that happened why people believe that but and I guess it was the spring game but again like in reality John Rice Fumley had a fantastic spring game you know who else did Mikey Mikey played just as well as him and on top of that everything we heard out of spring ball was that John Rice Fumley had a pretty rocky spring so I don't really know where that came from but just I you know like I just, if you're listening to this and you're just convinced it's going to be JRP, that's great. And you might end up being right, but just try to prepare yourself a little bit for the alternatives. You're not freaking out when it doesn't happen. Yeah. That's kind of falling deaf ears. Yeah, I know, but I just said, Isaiah Bowser and Johnny Richardson were both named to the Doak Walker award watch list on uh, Wednesday. And yeah, I mean, that's, we just talked earlier about the, the, how, how many running backs they have that they can give Bowser a bit of a break and not feel like there's a huge drop off because having Bowser, having Johnny Richardson, and then having MAR, having guy like Xavier Townsend, Jordan McDonald, whoever mixes in after them. I mean, they've got a, a good crop running this RJ Harvey. We didn't even talk about RJ Harvey earlier. If, if we he did not. You know, comes back healthy, you know, that'd be huge. So yeah, I mean, to have, have that many running backs, it's not a bad problem to have. Uh, let's jump over to you for tweet of the week, which I'm still stunned. It wasn't the one about spring game highlights, determining everything someone needs to see. Tweet of the week. My favorite part of that was highlights. You didn't even watch the yeah, spring game. No, it's not a spring highlights. game highlights. I've seen what I needed to see. I could not laugh at that. But anyway, so I tweet of the week. Uh, last night, if you don't follow me on Twitter, I just went on like a rant about Pac-12 TV ratings. It was a whole thing because there are a lot of like media who cover the Pac-12. And I understand why if you cover the Pac-12, your sources are all Pac-12 folks. So you're going to pretty naturally start to feel things from a Pac-12 perspective, but just about how like the big line I couldn't get around was John Wilner, who was the guy who broke the USC-UCLA really, news and is a really respected journalist, basically was like, the thing people are forgetting is that the Pac-12 is the only conference that can offer the 1030 uh, TV window to ESPN, and that's incredibly valuable. And I'm like, A, the Big 12 will be able to offer it when they take the Pac-12 schools they want, and B, the least watched window is not the most valuable one. I know ESPN needs inventory that does not make it valuable, so I tweeted that which is a real stat which i just find hilarious that more a hundred thousand more people watched three and three ucf take on four and three memphis on espn2 than they did watch washington and arizona on that same channel at 10 30. so like, like give me a break so anyway i tweeted that and this is tweet of the week the usf wizard which that's right guys this is a ucf pac-12 tweet so of course usf is there replied you're not accounting for half of the country is in bed and doesn't stay up that late most of the country lives in the East Coast slash Eastern time zone. This is you picking stats to fit your narrative. 
buddy, sir, mm. gentlemen, that that's the point. That is the point I'm making is that everyone is asleep and doesn't watch the Pac-12. This was a tweet about why the Pac-12 doesn't have TV value. I said, the Pac-12 does not have TV value because no one watches the Pac-12 because they're all asleep. And then you replied and said, that's only because they're all asleep. Yes, that, that's what we're saying. Well, Christian, what I don't think you're taking into account here is that reading comprehension is really hard. It's really what difficult. that established for me is there are so many USF fans who legitimately just hate read my tweets and don't even like bother with the context. Like he just saw that and was like, oh, look, they're comparing UCF's ratings to Arizona. It's like, and they're like, that's just because everyone's asleep. That's the freaking point. That is literally the point. <laughs> oh my God. I don't oh, know what to do with some of these tweets, man. I, I, people tweet the stupidest stuff. I mean, it is just astounding. I love that it's become just a main fixture of our podcast. It's like our longest running bit. I'd be curious. I have to look back at the numbers. If you're listening to this now, how many of you were here when it was still uniform of the week? Yeah. And, and then even more like, than that, it stopped. Go ahead. You, you go back farther. Remember when it was uniform trivia? We'd end the podcast. Yeah. And ask yeah, yeah. A uniform trivia. Question. Well, I think it was uniform of the week first. Right. And then you had to stop it because the seasons were over or like there was only like two. Was that what playing. it was? Yeah. So you were like, oh, let me ask you some uniform questions. I think that only lasted like a few weeks. Yeah, it was pretty brief. Um, but yeah. If you're a, Hey, if you're a uniform of the week alum tweeted us, I'd like, I'd like to, I'd like to <laughs> chat with some of our longtime listeners because our audience has really grown in the last like six months. And like, I really am here. I'd love to talk. I'll take to it a step further. If, if you were still, if you were around when I was reading, you know, news from every single program at UCF tweeted us, let me yeah, know but, your favorite. Let me, let me know your favorite piece of uh, UCF men's tennis news that you didn't listen to on episode four. Okay. So that, all right. Well, if you're a newer listener, Bailey used to, we used to have a whole news section that was like lasted 15 plus minutes where Bailey read out like, it wasn't shred, that long. I used to read yes, it, it so was. fast. Every shred of news he could minutes. find on every UCF sport from football down to tennis. And like, he really liked doing it. And I had to show him because the program we use, it charts actually like when you drop out, like how long you listen for like this, like, I don't, it doesn't have like names, but it's like X amount of listeners dropped out here. And it would be like, the graph was like, we have like 85, 90% retention through the pod. And then it gets to where Bailey goes, let's get into the news. And it just plummets and everyone leaves. And you know, what's funny is like, you would think that that's the reason why I stopped doing it. it and it was more because I got tired of keeping up with the news every week. Well, I was getting there was a lot of effort to put into. I really wanted you to stop. And the first time I brought it up and showed you the listen chart, you replied and said, yeah, but if even one UCF athlete out there is taking something away from this or UCF fan, then it's worth it for me. And I'm like, oh my God. No, yeah. I mean, it was, it was 100% just a passion project in terms of, I want people to care about more than just UCF football. So that's what it was. It was and just, I agree that they should, but it was just like, it just got, it got to the point where it was like, okay, no, like just no one's listening to it, you know, like basically you literally guys, like, falling on deaf ears you guys killed my passion project and you beat it out of me and i'm dead now so thanks and on that note we'll see you next week for episode <laughs> 85 of the yeah we will be back we'll be back next week with episode 84 some more uh, uh, 84 whatever yeah episode 84 with some more ucf preseason preview stuff uh, until then you can find us on twitter at bailey j adams 22 at by ca simmons and at night sports now thank you guys so much for being with us and we'll talk to you next week bye everybody